Good morning. Good to see you this morning. At the start of uh, spring break here in Hillsborough County, now that always sort of affects our family dynamics. On top of that, it was a time change this morning. Congratulations for getting here on time, sort of, but uh, you did great. You did wonderful. Good, good to be together this morning. Jim, great to see you with us this morning. Glad you're here. Uh, it's good to be together. So a woman finally convinced her husband to see a psychiatrist. And they went together for the first appointment. And they walked in, the psychiatrist said, so what brings you here this morning? And, and the lady said, well, my husband thinks he's God. And the doctor said, well, ma'am, I really need to talk to your husband, not you. Sir, why don't you just start at the beginning and tell me what's going on? And the husband says, absolutely. In the beginning, I created the heavens and the earth. Well, there is a God, and it's not us, and that is a very good thing, isn't it? We're spending a couple weeks, and we are talking about the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to tell you that when we talk about something like this, we really talk about anything, but especially something like the Holy Spirit, there's going to be some frustrations through the sermon series. Mainly because I'm not going to answer all your questions about the Holy Spirit. And I might not address all the issues that you want to address concerning the Holy Spirit. In fact, I've already had several people ask me, are you going to talk about this? Are you going to talk about that? And my reply has consistently been, maybe. <laughs> and I'm not trying to duck any aspect of this subject, but the reality is the subject's too big. I mean, we could talk about the Holy Spirit for years and not exhaust what the, you know, what in, what's involved with the study of the Holy Spirit. Because when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about God. And are we ever going to get to a place in our lives where we say, okay, now I've got God figured out. Now all my questions about God have been answered. No, we're not going to get there. I'm not going to get there with the Holy Spirit either, because we're finite beings. And we're trying to understand an infinite God, which is not, again, it's not an excuse. It's just, it's just the truth. However, I think it is time well spent to talk about and to study the Holy Spirit, to gain a better appreciation, a better understanding, to increase our dependence on the Holy Spirit. It's a subject that deserves our time and our attention. There's over 250 references to the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. The Bible talks a lot about the Spirit of God. But if we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, I think we ought to spend some time talking about what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. I happen to believe that Jesus is the ultimate authority on all things spiritual. All things, period, but especially all things spiritual. And Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit. Well, what does he say about the Holy Spirit? Well, he says this, John chapter 16, this is Jesus speaking, but I'm telling you the truth. It's better for you that I go away, because if I do not go, the helper will not come to you. But if I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove to the people of the world that they're wrong about sin and about righteousness and about God's judgment. They're wrong about sin because they do not believe in me. 
They're wrong about righteousness because I'm going to the Father and you will not see me anymore. And they're wrong about judgment because the ruler of this world has already been judged. I want to spend our time this morning pretty much in this passage. And I want you to look again, especially at verse 8 of chapter 16. And when he comes, when the Spirit comes, he will prove to the people of the world that they're wrong about sin and about righteousness and about God's judgment. He will prove to the people of the world. Your version might say he will convince or he will convict the world. Some versions say he will expose the world to their sin. It's literally this idea of bringing their sin into light, shining a light on something that's been in darkness. When the Holy Spirit comes, He will prove to the people of the world. He will expose. He will convince. He will will convict the people of the world that they're wrong about sin, about righteousness, and about judgment. All of us who claim to follow Jesus have experienced the convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit. You know, the Bible refers to the Holy Spirit as the comforter. But sometimes he makes things uncomfortable for us. Sometimes the comforter makes things a little bit uncomfortable because when we start going places where we know we shouldn't be, and when we start doing things that we know we shouldn't be doing, the Holy Spirit is going to let us know. It's going to make things uncomfortable for us. And I bet all of us have experienced that before. You know, you're, you're doing something, this just doesn't feel right. Someone suggests, let's go do this. Mm, count me out. I just, I got a bad feeling about that. It just doesn't seem right to me. That's the Holy Spirit convicting us, which is a good thing, by the way. It's a good thing when the Spirit exposes areas of our lives where darkness is trying to take over. You say, yeah, well, I don't like that feeling. You're not supposed to like that feeling. You should feel upset. You should feel sad. You should feel guilty. You should feel wrong about doing something that, that uh, you know, is leading us into darkness. All of us who follow Jesus, we've been blessed with this ministry of conviction. You know, I guess we could go the route of uh, Lucy and the peanut strip. Lucy says, I would have made a good evangelist. You know, that kid who sits behind me at school, I convinced him that my religion's better than his religion. And Linus asks, how'd you do that? She tells him, I hit him with my lunchbox. (laughs) Which is a way a lot of people try to convince others, right? Let me prove this to you with force, with power, with might. But the Holy Spirit doesn't act that way. The Holy Spirit isn't going to beat you with a lunchbox. Instead, Jesus says when the Spirit comes, He will expose to the world what's wrong about sin and about righteousness and about judgment. Because light always overcomes darkness. Light is never swallowed up by darkness. So the Apostle Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost. And he is going to preach what we call the first gospel sermon on the day of Pentecost. And you think about it, here's this unschooled, untrained fisherman standing up before a big group of people, and he starts talking about Jesus, and they are convicted. Scripture says they are cut to the heart, so much so that about 3,000 of them respond 
They repent of their sins. They're baptized into Christ. We know that story. We say, wow, that's because Peter was such a great preacher. No one else could have pulled that off because, but Peter, because that was just, Peter was so great. No. I don't think it was because Peter was such a great preacher. I think it's because of the convicting manner of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit cut those people to the heart. They didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit, but they understood in that moment they needed Jesus. And that's what the Spirit does. They were cut to the heart. They were convinced. They were convicted. You know, I pray every time I preach that someone is cut to the heart. That the Holy Spirit convinces someone, convicts someone that they need Jesus. And that begins with an accurate definition of sin. So Jesus says in verse 8 of chapter 16, When he comes, he will prove to people of the world that they are wrong about sin. And then the very next verse he explains that. They're wrong about sin because they do not believe in me. So the first thing that the Holy Spirit is going to shed light on is the truth that sin is unbelief in Jesus. You're not going to recognize Jesus as your Lord and Savior until you're convinced about this thing called sin. And there's one sin that seems to be at the root of all other sins, and that is the rejection of Jesus. The rejection of His identity. The rejection of His Lordship. Listen, people who are lost aren't lost because they're sinners. We're all sinners. And yeah, there are some lists in Scripture that talk about these sins will cause you to be lost, but you read those lists. Revelation's one place where you find some. You read those lists and people going to heaven did the same things that are in those lists. We're not lost because we're sinners. People are lost because they reject Jesus. Because they refuse to repent of that sin. Because ultimately, Jesus is what saves us. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 24, I told you that you would die in your sins if you did not believe that I am the one I claim to be. You will indeed die in your sins. You will die in your sins if you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be. And people are in darkness about this. They don't understand the sin of rejecting Jesus. So we become pretty fluid in the language of rationalization. Oh yeah, I sin, but I don't sin much. And I don't sin that bad. It's not like I sin like that guy over there. You know, I, I'm, I'm better than most. Most of you are familiar with Michael Bloomberg. He's the mayor of New York City for a while. He ran for president in 2020. He's a famous man. He's a rich guy. He's made a lot of money. He's given a lot of money away. Not too long ago, Michael Bloomberg attended his 50th college reunion, and he noticed how many of his classmates had passed away. And it made him think about his own mortality. And it made him think about judgment. And he reflected on the fact that he'd done a lot of good in his life. That he had literally given billions of dollars away to charity. And here's what he says. This is a quote from Michael Bloomberg. I'm telling you that if there is a God, when I get to heaven, I'm not stopping to be interviewed. I'm going straight in. 
I've earned my place in heaven. No, you haven't. Now, I'm not trying to pass judgment on Michael Bloomberg, but I do see a man who seems to be blind to his great sin. He doesn't think he needs Jesus. And I would ask him, if you don't need Jesus, and if I decide I don't need Jesus, why did Jesus come? See, the truth is, we're not just a little bit rough around the edges. We're not just barely broken. We are fatally flawed. We are dead in our sins. We don't need a life coach. We need a savior. That's what the Holy Spirit is helping us to understand. We need the help of the Holy Spirit to show people Jesus. Because people's failure to believe in Jesus is their basic sin. Back to John 16. And when he comes, he will prove to the people of the world that they're wrong about sin and righteousness. And Jesus explains it in verse 10. They're wrong about righteousness because I'm going to the Father. And you'll not see me anymore. Not only does the Holy Spirit show us that unbelief is sin, but the Holy Spirit also shines light on the truth that only Jesus is righteous. The Holy Spirit is going to be a constant opponent to anything that's not right. Everything that's not righteous. And again, we like to think of ourselves as fairly righteous. I'm pretty righteous. And again, we start comparing ourselves to other people who don't seem quite as righteous as I do. I'm more righteous than my coworker. I'm more righteous than my messed up brother. So I feel pretty good about myself. And then the Holy Spirit comes along and he shines a light on Jesus. And a whole new standard of rightness, a whole new level of righteousness comes to light. That's why Jesus says, I'm going to the Father. You won't see me anymore. Jesus is telling us that righteousness is from above. That's where Jesus is with the Father. Somehow we all have this mistaken belief that one day God is going to judge us on the curve. And the Holy Spirit wants to shine a light on Jesus and help us to realize that, that we don't need a little bit of help with the grades. We need Jesus to take the test for us. We've got to rely on Jesus. And the amazingly wonderful reality of all of this is that Jesus isn't just the standard of righteousness. He is the source of righteousness. And when we believe in Jesus, what He's accomplished for us on the cross, when we unite with Him in that death, that burial, that resurrection, through baptism, Romans chapter 6, He transfers His righteousness to us. Last week we looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Satan wants, to say, wants you to stay in the dark about this. He doesn't want you to know that you have been credited with Jesus' righteousness. Because Satan's desire is that your fate will be the same as his fate. So Jesus says in verse 8, And when he comes, he will prove to the people of the world that they're wrong about sin and about righteousness and about God's judgment. Verse 11, they're wrong about judgment because the ruler of this world has already been judged. 
Interesting, we don't talk a whole lot about the Holy Spirit. But the truth is, we don't talk a whole lot about Satan either, do we? But Jesus does. Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit. Jesus talked a lot about Satan. There's an old Billy Joe Shaver song that says, The devil made me do it the first time. Second time, I'd done it on my own. We don't like to admit that Satan has some influence over our lives. But Jesus says, you better pay attention. You need to know that the ruler of this world has already been judged. So there's one more thing that the Holy Spirit is going to shed light on. Sin is unbelief, only Jesus is righteous, and judgment is certain. The Holy Spirit exposes Satan as having no power over Jesus. His authority has been stripped. And Satan wants to keep you in the dark about this. He wants to keep you in the dark about the fact that he is the captain of the team that's already lost. And ironically, Satan's judgment happened at the very moment that the world assumed that Jesus had been defeated. John 12. The time of judgment for the world has come when the prince of this world will be cast out. And when I'm lifted up on the cross... I'll draw everyone to myself. The cross, where Jesus took our condemnation, was also the place where Satan was condemned. You know, we like to sing that song, He was lifted up. He paid a costly price. He bought me with the blood of his own life. Christ the King now reigning. He wears a victor's crown. Remember, we used to like to then shout, And Satan was defeated when the blood flowed down. The song is absolutely right. Satan was defeated when the blood flowed down. And the Holy Spirit points people to the cross to believe in Jesus, to plead for his righteousness, to no longer serve a defeated Satan. So there's this time in the Gospels, Matthew chapter 12, when the Holy Spirit is shedding a powerful light on Jesus. Again, the Spirit's always shining a light on Jesus. He does that through the Word, through the ministry of the church, through signs and wonders. But in Matthew 12, Jesus is casting out demons. And some Pharisees come along, some teachers of the law, and they tell Jesus, you couldn't do this if you weren't from the devil. And Jesus, who took a lot of criticism from the Pharisees, stops the show. And he says, you do not want to cross that line. And he tells them, every sin that you can commit will be forgiven except the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Now let me be really clear. There is no sin that you can commit that you can't repent and be forgiven of. Be sure you hear me on that. There is no sin that you can commit that you can't repent and be forgiven of. Paul said he was a blasphemer. He turned out to be an apostle. So what's Jesus saying? Well, the Holy Spirit is ruling and calling and witnessing to the identity, to the deity, to the sufficiency of Jesus. And when in your hard heart you reject Jesus, you turn your back on what the Holy Spirit is saying about Jesus, you have rejected the only provision that God has made for you to be saved. And Jesus says, don't you go there. 
Don't you dare turn your back on me. By the way, this is exactly why the Holy Spirit won't leave us alone, right? Because the Holy Spirit isn't just some force, not just some manifestation. The Holy Spirit's God. God loves the world. In fact, earlier Jesus said, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he's not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. If you do not believe in the name of God's one and only Son, you stand condemned. We all need to be much more aware, much more grateful than we've ever been of this ministry of conviction through the Holy Spirit. This morning, I hope the Holy Spirit is convicting you. I hope that the Holy Spirit is, is working on your heart. Because once you come convinced of the gift, once you're convicted of this ministry, two things are going to happen. First, when the Holy Spirit convicts us, we're going to start speaking to the lost about God. You know, we talk a lot about what the Holy Spirit does for me. But don't forget, Jesus said, I'm going to send him to you. And the very next phrase he says, he will convict the world. God is sending the Holy Spirit to you because he wants to bless people through you. He wants to use you to be a blessing to others. You know, we've been given a mission by Jesus, right? The Great Commission. Go into all the world. Preach the gospel. The whole world. That is a big job. We need help. And we need to step out on faith knowing that Jesus will keep his promise that he sent help. He sent us the Holy Spirit. So, when you have a chance to talk to your neighbor or a brother or sister or a loved one, when you get a chance to talk to somebody about Jesus and they don't know Jesus, and you pass up that chance, ultimately it's not because you don't have confidence in yourself. It's because you're not showing confidence in the Holy Spirit. It's not our job to convict anyone. It's our job to allow God's Spirit to work through us. He's the one who will touch a heart, convict the lost. When the Holy Spirit convicts you, we're going to start speaking to the lost about God. And the second thing that's going to happen when the Holy Spirit convicts us, we're going to start speaking to God about the lost. Once we truly understand that this is a spiritual warfare that we're in the middle of, we're trying to penetrate the darkness that's been created by the enemy, we're going to start praying with passion for people that we love who don't love Jesus. You know, we pray all the time for people who are sick. It's right, we should. I do it because I believe I serve a God who heals. Why don't we pray just as fervently and just as passionately for people who are lost? I heard someone say, we spend more time praying for sick people not to go to heaven than we do for lost people not to go to hell. And I think there's some truth in that statement. If you have a friend, a son, a daughter, a sister, a brother, someone that you love who doesn't love Jesus, 
And you need to be praying for that person. You probably, most of you are familiar with the name George Mueller. As a young man, George Mueller committed to praying for five of his friends who didn't know Jesus. And he was going to pray for them every day until they came to a saving faith in Christ. First friend came to Jesus after five years. Two others came to Jesus after ten years. That fourth friend came to Jesus 37 years later. And that last and fifth friend, 52 years, George Mueller prayed for that man. And he came to faith in Jesus just a few weeks after George Mueller died. And you know what? You didn't figure it out on your own either, did you? You didn't fall in love with Jesus because you were just so smart. You didn't come to a saving faith in Christ because you're so brilliant. Someone was praying for you. Now, I mentioned before, every time I get to witness a baptism, I think someone has been praying for this moment. We need to be praying for people who are lost. We need to do for others what someone did for us. Those people that you love that don't love Jesus, are you praying for them? Are you praying for the Holy Spirit to be involved? To open up some opportunities for conversations? To use you to tell people about Jesus? Are you praying for people? We're going to do that this morning. We're going to close uh, this uh, lesson with a prayer. So would you bow with me, please? God, we give you thanks that we have been saved by the blood of Jesus. And we give you thanks that someone prayed for us, that someone opened their mouth, and that the Holy Spirit opened our heart, and we fell in love with Jesus. So we thank you for our salvation. And now, Father, we beg for the same miracle to happen in the lives of others. We ask for the glory of Jesus to be revealed, for light to shine out of the darkness. We thank you for the conviction that comes through the powerful work of your Spirit. And it's for the sake of and in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. Ron's got a song that we're going to use as a song of encouragement this morning. If we can, as a church family, help you in any way, we invite you to come to the front and let us know. Let's go ahead and be standing.